Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. My name's Ellie um, and I've been coming to St George's for about two years. This is my first time ever speaking at the evening service, so hopefully you're going to be kind to me. I have spoken before at the morning service, and in both times I've spoken about lament, so they've, you know, eased me in very gently. So, um, I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word lament, because it isn't a word that we use a lot in our general language. Maybe you think of like a long, sad poem or a song. Maybe you think of someone having a vent or a moan or getting in touch with their feelings. Maybe you think of a word that's not really from our culture. Like sometimes we see funerals in other cultures and people come after coffins and they like audibly wail. The picture that comes to my mind um, currently is that of my one-year-old son, Zach, who has learned the art of lamenting many things. (laughs) He's getting close to two, and the breadstick is either too long, the banana's too short, the water is too cold. And when any of these dreadful things happen, he started doing a run-up before launching himself on the floor, spread-eagled like a star, and doing that classic move of the shout and pound. I don't know who teaches children to do this, but they all just like somehow know, don't they? It's like that classic thing. But whatever you might picture, um, maybe you, like me, associate the word lament with this idea of moaning or complaining. And in Britain, we're very good at lamenting the weather or lamenting the state of the government. But we don't really talk about real emotions, do we? They make us feel a bit uncomfortable. So what exactly is lament? Um, is it just having a moan, getting in touch with your feelings, or this ultimate act of self-expression as Zach has perfected? Well, when we look at the Bible, and particularly at the Psalms, we see a different picture. About a third of the Psalms are what we could call laments, which means that, in fact, lamenting or lament is a form in Scripture of praise. Psalms are praise. The Hebrew word for psalm means praise, literally. So, just as the rhythm, the Psalms of lament are classed as songs of praise, and they were sung by the Jewish people in the temple. And within these psalms, we see a huge, huge range of quite challenging emotions like fear, sadness, anger, loneliness, dejection, despair. And what that tells us is that these emotions have a place in our worship of God. And today, we're going to look at Psalm 42. Kyle is going to come up now and read it for me. So I just encourage you to really listen um, to this psalm and remember that it was used in collective worship. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. So I think the first thing that the Psalms of Lament teach us is that it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. So when I was preparing for this um, talk, I read a short book about preaching the Lament Psalms, and it was entitled, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And this title really grabbed me. Because I don't know about you, but I think sometimes in the church, we've internalized this idea that when you become a Christian, life will become great and wonderful. You know, we hear this idea of Jesus brings life to the full, which he does, but sometimes we think that means that we won't have to feel um, some of the feelings that we've lifted already here that are found in the Psalms. Let's have a little look at what the psalmist talks about, some of the emotions he expresses. In verse one, he speaks of the felt absence of God. So he says, Um, that he longs for God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. But the implication there is that he deeply desires God, but God feels far off. In verse two, he weeps. And that's not just a little bit. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. In verse four, he pours out his soul. In verse five, he is downcast and disturbed. In verse seven, he describes feeling like he's drowning. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He feels forgotten by God in verse nine, oppressed by the enemy in physical mortal agony in verse 10. He describes a huge breadth of emotional turmoil. What I find fascinating is he holds nothing back. And he is totally honest with God. And a lot of his questions are directed at God. So this idea that if we are Christians, we should feel a certain way all of the time is simply not true. And sometimes even more than that, we think that it's a sign that we are not close to God or we might not be mature Christians if 
we feel any of these things. If nothing else, these Psalms show us that it's okay to not be okay, but especially they tell us that it's okay to not be okay in the presence of God. And rather than a sign of immaturity or anything else, turning to God in lament, taking these emotions to him, is evidence of relationship. And we intuitively know this, don't we, when we think about our own relationships. So those people that we feel closest to get the unfiltered version of us, don't they? So when I was training to teach, um, I had to present as a teacher, especially when you start out, this very kind of in control, calm exterior, because teenagers, they smell fear, don't they? We can all remember that trainee teacher that we ran rings around in our classrooms. And you have to, it's a bit like acting, you know? And so the teacher, Ellie, which I'd like to think was the don't mess with me teacher, Ellie, I'm not so sure if that was the case. When I got home in that safe space, would turn into wife Ellie that Josh would get, and the second one was a blubbering mess on the sofa. We all know that is with those that we feel safest with, with people that we love or have meaningful relationship with, that we can show our unfiltered selves. Some of the most godly people in the Bible question and cry out to God. King David describes is described as the man after God's own heart, and he repeatedly battles with despair in the Psalms that he writes. Elijah, the great prophet, says to God, I've had enough, Lord, take my life at one point. And these individuals knew, followed God, and were used mightily by him. It is okay to not be okay. But especially, it's okay to bring it to God. And secondly, lament helps us deepen our relationship with God. So it's not just that it comes out of a relationship, but the Psalms provide us with a way to draw closer to God when we face these challenging times. When we encounter feelings of despair, we live in such a broken world, don't we? And it doesn't take long when watching the news to sense that feeling of there's so much darkness out there and we want to cry out to God, where are you? What is going on? But the problem with this unstated belief that we can have that as Christians, those aren't feelings that we should have means that when we do have them, maybe we experience some kind of shame. I know in my own life, I maybe knew this up here that it was okay, but when I experienced difficult like mental health problems myself, actually I felt some kind of shame and so it drew me away from God rather than turning to him. And again, that, that is not something to feel shame about either. But what the Psalms can help us to see is that it is okay. And they can also give us a roadmap. They can give us words when we maybe don't have the words to pray before God. Me and my husband, Josh, have been married for 10 years, which still feels wild to me. But we've well and truly passed the honeymoon phase after 10 years. So what we present to each other now is not the glossy person we used to when we were first dating, although, let's be honest, there was, we were never very glossy. <laughs> um, but we might not get butterflies in our stomachs anymore. Sorry, Josh. And when we look at each other, but we've got so much more depth of intimacy now than we ever had at the beginning of our relationship. 
And that's because of the honesty and the vulnerability that we've built up over the years. We know that honesty leads to greater depth of relationship. So I wonder how much space do we make for lament in our times of worship, not just as individuals, but collectively. Most of us are carrying burdens, and what lament does is provides a space to bring this before God. And without that, we actually stop ourselves from receiving the healing that God can offer in times of distress or doubt. We can read the Psalms in our services, and many, many churches do, but we also see a lot of lament in more modern contemporary songs. A recent example, um, just released last week, is the song Broken Hallelujah, um, which was released on Instagram, and Tim Hughes, his church, Gas Street, um, did a release of this song, and he says this, worship is not about escaping the reality of the world, but rather bringing Jesus' presence into the center of our reality and our world. It is not about escaping the reality of the world. Maybe sometimes we might use even our worship as a way of escaping. The first verse of Broken Hallelujah says, hope feels so far away, songs that stir up my faith just feel like lines upon a page. Empty, but still you remain. And all I have to bring, a song of honest praise and a broken hallelujah. We can use our times of worship as opportunities to draw closer to God when we do this in honesty. And that brings us to the third thing I want to say about lament, is that it is an act of hope. Hope and lament are not like opposite things. But rather, when we lament, we're actually expressing a kind of hope because we are saying that things are not as they should be. And we're also bringing our fear or our despair to God. Let's look at verse 5 and 11. There's this refrain throughout the psalm where the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Now it's interesting to realise that the psalmist here is not speaking to God, he's not speaking to the audience, but he's speaking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Some of you will have heard of the um, American pastor Tim Keller, who actually recently died of cancer. We looked at some of our books here, it's, some of his books at St. George's, and he wrote a series of reflections on the Psalms um, during the pandemic. They're all available on YouTube. And his reflection on Psalm 42 is entitled, Speaking to, Not Listening to Yourself. And he encourages us here, as the psalmist does, to speak to ourselves and remind ourselves and preach to ourselves of the goodness of God. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. And we talk a lot about positive mindset um, and the importance of positive self-talk and positive self-affirmations, don't we? 
And what the psalmist is doing here is is the Bible's version of positive self-talk, if you will. But instead of the focus being on ourselves, his focus is on God. And he's saying, remind yourself of who God is when you face struggles. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. You can address yourself with the truths of the things that we know about God rather than listening sometimes to the lies that we say about ourselves. So it's knowing who we are in the light of who God is. Now it's worth noting that this refrain is still followed in verse 6 by the sentence, my soul is downcast within me. So despite this rallying call of hope in God, the psalmist's emotional state doesn't seem to change. And again, in verse eight, there's this beautiful picture of God's presence. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I I absolutely love that section. What a declaration. But notice that in the next breath, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It almost seems like he's expressing completely contradictory things here. He's going from hope in God to God, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? But I find this incredibly helpful because it seems to me to be a really accurate depiction of our lived experience. What our lived experience can sometimes be as Christians, especially in this world. That we go back and forth, don't we, between the tension of the present reality that we do suffer, we do mourn, we do grieve. This world is not as God wants it to be. And yet we still have a future hope and we can hope in God. And so the language of lament is the language of that tension. We talk sometimes about the kingdom of God being now and not yet, and it's that same idea. That Jesus rose from the dead, so the kingdom of God is now because he defeated sin, and when he rose from the dead, the kingdom of God has begun to come into this world, but it isn't here fully yet, so we still experience sin in our lives, and we still see the effects of sin in our societies. And I like to think of it a bit like both and, not either or. So we see this emotionally in ourselves as well. Things don't have to be either happy or sad, exciting or scary, wonderful or hard. They can be both and. Here's an example. So when we moved from St. Andrews to Leeds, we were really excited to come here. We were returning to Yorkshire. Um, We lived here for a long time in York, and we'd been up in St. Andrews for a few years. We were coming to this church where we knew we had friends, um, and we were coming to be closer to family. I was really excited about the move. But one day I found myself feeling really devastated I was angry and crying and feeling all these reasons as to why I did not want to go. So I was sad to leave St. Andrews. And I remember Josh looking at me so shocked and saying, but I thought you wanted to go. And I said, well, I do. And he followed it, but you just said you didn't want to leave. And I said, well, I don't. And he said, you can say that I am completely emotionally stunted and cannot do two emotions at once, if you like. So he said, I'm allowed to say that. 
But it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we find it hard to hold things in tension. But the, the both and, rather than either or, um, says that we can feel both happy and sad. And think about parenting as the example I often use. It's simultaneously the most wonderful thing I've ever done and the most difficult I've ever done. Moving house is both exciting and painful. It doesn't have to be either or. I'm excited to be moving to Durham this summer, but I'm also genuinely gutted to be leaving. And a lot of us here, many of you, are finding yourselves in times of periods of in-between, whether that be as a young person, you're in between childhood and adulthood, you're in between dependence and independence. Students, you're, you might be in between study and work. You might be changing jobs. Many of us are talking about moving. And times like that can be unsettling. But I find that the both and is really important because they can be invitations to grow closer to God. They can be both difficult and hopeful. And the both and says, into, when we look at the Psalms of Lament, it says that God will bring resolution to this world and we can recognize that right now it may not feel like this. It's okay to not be okay. And we can remind ourselves of God's unfailing love. It does not have to be either or. Psalmist goes from one to the other. And so lament helps us to hold this tension between that reality of suffering and the hope that knowing God can bring. And as Christians, it's important to remember that our hope rests in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that it is because he will come back that we can know hope in our despair, in our weakness, in our struggle, or in our fear. And it's because Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So there is that both and as well. We will have trouble, but he has overcome the world. And that might not look like the timeline we think it does. That hope might not be straight away. We might not experience it right now. Sometimes it is really, really difficult. But hope is about saying, God, I trust that you will bring ultimate hope. And so I want to end with a challenge to regularly pray the Psalms. And this can be done both personally and together. And I don't know about you, how often you find yourself um, praying the Psalms. So in the Church of England, for example, there's such a thing as called the daily offices, which are prayers you pray throughout the day. And if you were to do all of those, you would pray five psalms a day. It's like vegetables. Um, <laughs> five a day. But that might be a little bit too much. I'm not suggesting you all go away and pray the daily offices. Maybe that is what I'm saying. But certainly for me, maybe it's saying I'm going to pray one psalm a day, or one in the morning, one in the evening. You know, begin where you are. But I think these can have a really molding effect on our life. So Tom Wright writes a whole book on the Psalms and he speaks of a life regularly praying them a bit like a stream of water flowing through a rock bed. So that regular flow of water carves out a pathway through the rocks. And this means that when we go through difficult times, we've got this well-worn path and we can use that to help us. 
And he says it's a bit different to, for example, if you, when you go through difficult times, if you just chuck a bucket full of water at some rocks now and again, that's not going to have that same effect. And I think we looked at rhythms, didn't we, at the start of this year in January, and it's the same with all spiritual rhythms. If we do them regularly, it has a molding effect on our lives, just like a flowing stream through a rock bed. And the other thing to say about praying the Psalms regularly is that you'll soon discover that a lot of them might not fit with your experience at this point in time. So some of you here might be feeling like, I really don't identify with what it says in this psalm. I'm feeling quite filled with the joy of God. And that is amazing. That is wonderful. That is okay. You may not be in a place of despair. And you might read these and see things where it says somebody's feeling pursued by enemies or hemmed in on every side. And you might not identify with that. But what about Christians, say, in countries where they're persecuted for their faith? You might not be in a place of despair, but what about a church member who's dealing with a cancer diagnosis? Actually, psalm praying is also participating in the prayer life of the church. So within our church community, both here and also wider, there will be experiences of unimaginable pain. Lament is actually solidarity with others who are suffering. And we love each other when we allow each other's experience of pain to become the substance of our prayer. So let's use the Psalms, not just to help us draw closer to God, but to bring each other into the presence of God. So wherever we may feel we are, whether that be in a great place filled with joy, or a difficult place filled with pain, or anywhere in between, the Psalms of Lament have something to teach us. And let's keep this in mind as we go into communion now, which is a time of remembering. And we can remember that both and, that we're invited to come as we are in our brokenness, but also and to remind ourselves that even though, as one author puts it, the song might be in a minor chord now, one day it will resolve in a major chord. Because lament is not our final prayer. And there is ultimate hope. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.